This is Kari Gale. And this is Tony Critz. Welcome to the Pilgrim Lost Podcast, a space for those who wander and wonder. Good morning, Tony. You look so, you, you're dancing right there in the screen. I can see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's, um, it's, it's, I, I've been looking forward to this day, actually. This day, today, this, this morning. This particular day. Yeah, Wednesday and actually morning. this podcast. I've been I've been looking, I've been counting, counting minutes for this for this experience. Well, I'm very excited about the experience. But before we before we actually get into our guest uh, for our podcast today, I can I tell you a little story that I was Please. super excited about? Please. So you I mentioned on I think our last podcast that I had just finished a workshop. Um yes. one of my travel journal workshops. And so I did some follow-up calls with some of those attendees. And in the in that connection, I asked them how they had found out about me. Because it's always really nice, you know, to know. Right. Is it a website? Is it a conversation? And two people had actually, it, they came through the podcast. And it wasn't nice. necessarily that they had listened to the podcast, but a friend of theirs had listened to the podcast and then and then got on the site and saw my bio and then recommended the workshop to a friend. So I was, I was pretty stoked about that. Fantastic. Fantastic. And yeah. there's another opportunity to attend the workshop on what date? Well, I, there isn't right this moment because it's full. My, my March workshop is full. Well, then, I know everyone shut the front door, gonna, <laughs> shut the front door. So uh, everyone's going to have to wait until June or whenever the next one is, but stay well, tuned. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking April. I'm thinking April. I think right. I might do one in April. So travel keep your journal eyes art with Kari Gale. Yes, that is Fantastic. right. And, and you actually, get like a little art kit with it and everything. It's like a, yeah, it's like a whole thing. You, it's a whole thing. It's a, it's whole, a whole thing. It's a whole, it's like, it's the Kari Gale experience. It really is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're all about, you know, the, a little bit about the Camino and how I got started in the travel journal world and all of that. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. It's great. Um, okay, uh, so you you get to go back to why we're so excited today because I'm also excited. Well, before I go there, I um I had I had a long conversation yesterday. It also is why I'm in kind of a good mood because you know, Kari, that I can I can tend towards discouragement. Yes, yes, it's true. That that's, um, that's a very nice way of putting it. Tending yeah. toward, yeah, and yeah, tending towards discouragement. I am I am definitely an emotionally transient person i travel as much through my emotions as i do as a pilgrim and wow. um yeah look at that but yesterday i had a chance to talk to um member of the pilgrim lost community mark portrait who went on our urban pilgrimage and mark and i just had the best like hour-long conversation i this covid thing I don't know what I would do without hour-long conversations, like when I'm out walking or whatever, and just get somebody on the headphones and just chat. Um, but I was talking to Mark yesterday, and he and I were both sort of lamenting that um, we're just feeling a little spiritually disconnected as human beings on a soul level. Yeah. And um, Mark so sweetly was like, you know, there's this book on Jesuit meditation that I've been meaning to read may I buy you a copy and we'll read it together and discuss it and kind of process this meditation. And I was so thrilled that he asked me to do that. And um, I just think remembering to nurture our inner life is so 
essential. And quite frankly, you would think with all the time on our hands um, under quarantine, we'd be doing it more, but I find that I do it less. I find that I'm sort of mushy inside. I'm sort of been beat into a sloggy state much of the time. And so just to have the encouragement to, to just be sort of intentional there, I thought was, was really, was really a blessing. Mm, I love that. It's, it's definitely that, that person kind of coming alongside you in the midst of, I love the phrase that you used. I think it was a couple podcasts ago, but the COVID doldrums, which yes. I think is so appropriate. And yes. we're all feeling very um, immobile and to have that movement and have that accountability with someone is super important. Okay, well, with no further ado, speaking of people who are encouraging, uh, we, we have a guest with us today. Thrilling, thrilling guest, <laughs> Mr. Mr. John Huckins of the San Diego, California, Golden Hill neighborhood of San Diego, California, to be exact. He is husband to Jan and has four beautiful kids and a dog. And um, he's also the author of several books, including uh, Mending the Divide and Thin Places and Artist Story, something about art storytelling. I mean, fantastic. And uh, he's the founder and director of the Global Immersion Project. And we've been friends for, I don't know, eight, 10 years. And I, I like I him a so. lot. I like him a lot. Hey, I don't have, I don't have your mending book. Well, when, when did it come out? It came out in 2017. Okay, 2017. But that's about when we stopped yeah, having like, our regular gatherings. So yeah, it's about the last time sense. I saw you was 2017, when I mm -hmm. fell off the map. How Far are you, man? I'm happy to be with you both. It's fun hearing the banter, and it's already stirring up all sorts of good stuff in me as uh, I think about the connections of life and Camino and companions and all that stuff. So it's fun. So John, I, um, when I read your bio and about, and, and read about your books, I was really excited to see, uh, the book thin places, which I want to get because uh, mine is like dog-eared. Mine is like, beard. <laughs> wow. I spent a couple months on doing an art residency on the Island of Iona. You're and, kidding. Yes. And I saw that you quoted Columba, oh, St. Columba man. and, um, and that it's such a precious place to me. Um, so I, I completely identified in that moment. I need to have that book. So I'm excited to put that on my list and get it ordered. That I'm really jealous. Uh, I mean, for those listening in, the, the, a thin place is a place where uh, heaven and earth are only thinly separated. And that goes back into Columba and this island, which you got to actually be on. Did you experience that? I mean, did it feel like there were times where heaven and earth were colliding just on an even geographical perspective? Scotland, you know, the, in Scotland, they kind of view Scotland in general as a thin place, but I believe, mm -hmm. I feel like the islands themselves are even more so. And getting to spend a couple months there, uh, which pretty much all I was doing was walking the island and then drawing and writing. And I lived in wow. this little shepherd's boffy um, it was, which actually was the in instigator of me actually ultimately building a tiny house because I lived in this beautiful space in this beautiful, on this beautiful Island. And it was so contemplative. It was the most contemplative space I've ever been in. And, you know, certainly it was 
the silence, the, you know, there was no hustle. There was one road, you know, about a hundred people live on the island. So, um, I know I think all of those factors add to it being wow. a thin place, but it was magical. And I definitely want to go back. Ooh, that sounds magical. I'm putting it on the bucket list for sure. All right, John, let's, uh, let's start with a little, a little lightning round to, get, to help people get to know you a little bit. You ready? Yep. Yep. What's your favorite book? Oh, oh boy. Well, the pilgrimage, um, is about the Camino. I don't know if you've read this. It came after the alchemist, Paulo Coelho, and it is fantastic. It's come up in my ranks um, and it's relevant to this conversation. So I'm going to name that in this lightning round. Favorite childhood toy? Oh, uh, well, my baseball bat. Always <laughs> pictured myself hitting home runs. How many tattoos do you have? One. Although I burned myself the other day and part of my jacket is now part of my skin. So maybe two. Okay. Uh, at 10 o'clock at, at night, what's your snack choice? Scotch. Scotch. Yes. <laughs> uh, and what's your Enneagram number? Three with a wing four. Me too. You well, me. look at us. We have all sorts of beauty and brokenness in us, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Hence the need for the Camino. All right. Well, let's talk about it a little bit. When you and I spoke on the phone the other day, you said that you've been sort of returning in your soul to see your memories from the Camino and sort of processing it. Give us a couple of highlights of sort of what, what you took when you walked the Camino Portugues, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. I walked from uh, Porto to Santiago and it was in October of, uh, 2019 so a year and a half ago now and I mean it was a journey that I never anticipated needing um, and I don't think even when I was on it I understood why I needed it but as I I mean to get to your question as I reflect back on that question now a year and a half out there's um, one of the pilgrims one of the part you know you're mentioning this conversation you had with a friend yesterday that was so enlivening in the companionship of that I was about I walked by myself. Um, I had a friend actually for the first few days and then by myself the rest. And about a week and a half in or a week in, I'm, I was feeling very, I was feeling lonely for much of it, honestly. And then about a week in, I felt energy to actually try to connect with people. When I went on the Camino, I was so fried from social exertion from my work and my life and my family and all the things that are going on in my head all the time. I had to spend a lot of time moving from head to heart. And I bumped into this partner um, named Gaspar. He's a Portuguese man and he was a, a Camino veteran. And uh, we immediately connected and we had, we had meals together at, at each stop for a few days. And then we ended up walking together the last four days into Santiago. Hmm. But one of the first things he said to me as he became a bit of a Camino guide and mentor was John, you need to walk with your heart, not with your feet. And it was a, one of the most profound things I've, I'd heard because, uh, you know, he said, if you walk with your feet, you'll stop when the blisters get too bad. <laughs> in another way, for me, it's more like walk with your heart, not with your mind. I can get so caught up in my brain that I don't ever take the journey to my heart. And that has informed how I show up every day, you know, as mm. I process back now and, and think about why that was so important is I feel like at my best, I'm walking 
uh, each day, encountering each day, encountering my work and my family and my neighbors with my heart, not just with my head or my to-do list or the next thing I need to conquer. Um, it moves me from left brain to right brain, which is a, usually a healthier orientation for me and how I'm wired. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a great gift. One of the things that astounded me when I was on the Camino was it seemed like every, every person, every pilgrim, I should say, every pilgrim that I encountered seemed to just believe that every other pilgrim was their friend. Mm. Like there was just this assumption that yeah. this is the, the natural suspicion that I experience out in the streets of Portland, for instance, um, was gone. It was just evaporated. Like everyone just mm -hmm. assumed, you know, you, you walk into the albergue in the, in the afternoon and everyone's your friend. Like they want to know yeah. your name and they want to greet you. And the assumption is to move towards one another, not to move away, mm -hmm. not to avoid. Um, uh, did, did you witness that at all when you were going? And obviously there's a transition here to your work. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I, I it was the, it was the experience of a life uh, without pretense, you know, I feel like so much of our existence comes with all this this pretense we have towards one another. Like, oh, you are a doctor. I interact with you that way. <laughs> you are living on my street outside. I interact with you that way. Hmm. Um, you're of a different theological framework. I interact with you this way or political, whatever it is. And I felt like on the trail, there was the presumption that we were all on a journey for some reason. And we were all going we were all seeking the transformation that was unknown, unknown to us, but that we were all deeply committed to, not just with our heads, but with our feet. Like we were walking towards transformation and into transformation every day. And so, yeah, I felt a deep sense of solidarity. And, and uh, again, for me as someone who has had a certain set of expectations placed on me from early on, and then even as I've grown in vocation and career and roles around family, like there's a certain way that I need to act and behave and people will interact with me based on those titles. And it was so liberating yeah, to walk into the hostel at the end of the day or the cafe halfway through the day. And no one gives a crap about what I've written or what I've hmm. said or how it, it's just, we're pilgrims. So let's journey together. <laughs> it's awesome. It felt like to me, John, that there was this just unlimited grace for people like you you know we talk a lot about grace and I in my upbringing you know grace is just this really common word that's used mm -hmm. but I felt like this ability that ability to put aside the judgment and just mm -hmm. give each other that benefit of the doubt it just yeah. felt it felt like living in that space of grace and and that grace extended for the first time for me really beyond this idea that I had to be on the same spiritual path. And mm -hmm. yeah, that was such a um, huge revelation for me. Part of the Camino was, was, was part of my divorce and my deconstruction. So being in that space to just give people the ability to be wherever they were at, and they were allowing me that same, again, that same grace. And that was really beautiful. Isn't that cool too, that like the, the, the Camino is inherently rooted in a Christian tradition. I mean, it's one of three Christian pilgrimages. You got Rome, you got Jerusalem, and you got Santiago. It's marked by all of these icons of the Christian history and tradition. Yet it, it, it is beautifully expansive in who is walking that Camino and why and what tradition they come from. And 
uh, it, I, I think it, it even is like a, what would it look like if our faith, and I'm from the Christian tradition and continue to practice in that tradition, our faith was generous enough and filled with the kind of grace that you speak of where anyone on their journey towards wholeness can find a home there and can find healing there and can experience transformation there. And it doesn't require a prerequisite of orthodoxy when we just journey uh, together. It is a, it is a beautiful gift. Well, and that just segues so perfectly into what you do, which is peacemaking, because we've been so inundated in these last few months with so much divisiveness, so mm. much divisiveness with the the elections and everything going on, um, the injustice in the world. And so this idea that we could be expansive enough to allow people to move towards wholeness without having to have a preconceived notion of what that wholeness mm. looked like on paper um, mm -hmm. is so intriguing to me. And so I'm really interested in your work. So you um, are, I think you said that, I think I read it was the, co you're the co-founder and director mm -hmm. of the Global Immersion Project. Can you give the folks that are listening just a little bit of overview of what that is? You bet. Yeah, so um, never intended to start a peacemaking training organization. That's what we are, we're a peacemaking training organization. Uh, we work with people of faith to engage this very conflicted, divided world in restorative ways. So a short, a short way to put that is we, we help people have tools to navigate conflict well. We actually see conflict as an opportunity for transformation if we have tools to navigate it well, usually our default in conflict is either the fight or flight, right? You jump in and you try to conquer, win or destroy, or you run away from it because it's terrifying. And, and we're saying conflict is an opportunity. We have to have both the theological and the practical tools to engage it well, whether it's with our spouse or whether it's with our neighbor or whether it's on an international systemic issue. Um, yeah, and so we, we started this thing over a decade ago now. And it was I was on a pilgrimage actually to... I was in seminary and was in Jerusalem studying there. And uh, the short version is I was just confronted with the inadequacy of our Christian tradition for global conflict. I began to meet people that were impacted by our policies and the theology that undergirded them that dehumanized people that didn't look or think or believe or act like us. And it was very haunting as in the life of our friends, Milad and Minar, who were Christian Palestinians working in the West Bank, living in the West Bank, working there. Who woke us up to that basically they, they they helped us see that the christian church of the united states was perpetuating conflict and war not actually contributing to its eradication and its healing um, and it was impacting real people with real names and real stories and real neighborhoods and so our work was to help christians uh do better <laughs> to actually follow the jesus we talk about uh, to, to put flesh and blood to what it means to live as, um, as peacemakers that we read about through the Gospels. So, yeah, now that's what we do. The, the, the way we do that has historically been to go to actually to take people to the center of global conflicts to learn from peacemakers embedded within them because we've found there's no better people to teach peace than those that are actually practicing it, whether in the Middle East or here. I live about 10 minutes from the border of Tijuana, San Diego, or Mexico, U.S., and so we have immersion trips here at the border as well. Um, of course, uh, COVID has changed how we do that. And so a lot of our training is now online and coaching, consulting and training and workshops, uh, but really has been through pilgrimage. Like it, it is the, the mechanism, the methodology for training peacemakers we've used is pilgrimage because we see that as the most transformative classroom uh, that impacts the way we live back home. And when you're, when you're saying pilgrimage there, how are you using that word? Yeah. I mean, we, we would say that most of the Christian experience 
experience of international travel is related to missions. So you go and you do something like you kind of presuppose the answers to someone else's problems and you show up and it's perpetuated this very colonialistic missions paradigm. We would say, whoa, 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 we actually need to be pilgrims. We need to go on a journey where we don't presume the answers, uh, nor do we presume we're going to fix or tell people the answers. We're going to go learn from people. So mm. a pilgrimage, as I often describe it, is uh, not about the destination. It's about the transformation that happens along the way. So if you go on an immersion trip with Global Immersion, it's about your own transformation along the way. It's not about fixing someone else's problem, or it's not even about presuming how you need to be fixed. You need to just, you need to go and experience fully, be fully present and allow that experience to shape who and how you're becoming. Yeah. Having done a lot of religious nonprofit work overseas and gone into fix problems to go into save countries, you know, that kind of orientation, um, very clear plan, very, you know, measurable, you know, one thing about walking the, the Camino that was so amazing to me is I never once looked at a map. Like yeah. I got out of bed, I put on my boots, I walked to the edge of town, I found the first arrow, yellow arrow, and I walked in that direction. And I didn't know when I was going to turn left or right. I didn't know who I was going to encounter. I had no idea if there was going to be food available anytime before 2 p.m. You know, I just didn't know. And it was all this sort of like the 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 practice of the open hand as opposed yeah. to, you know, um, and I just, uh, I just find that so, so intriguing. That's what I hear from you is just like going in, like I'm open, I'm, I'm not coming here to fix anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it is, that's exactly right. And it's very countercultural though. It, it's a, it's very uncomfortable. What we found is when we approach pilgrimage, whether it's to the Middle East or on the Camino, if, if we do that in this way, it puts us on our heels a little bit. I feel like oftentimes most of our life, especially dominant culture, privileged folks like us, we, we can kind of we can kind of be leaning forward, uh, trusting we, we know the answer or, or assuming positions of power, or there's always going to be room for me to speak in, in every room where whereas pilgrimage puts you on your heels because you're uncomfortable. You don't know what's coming. It's a different culture. It's a different context. You're not the expert. You're not expected to be the one who leads out with your <laughs> with your next idea. And it's very, it's very disorienting. It's a, it, we would yes. describe it actually as we're, we're trying to create intentional disorientation. We're trying to disorient the hell out of people, ourselves included, because it's only then that we can be reoriented around a better way uh, and, and move towards wholeness and shift our posture and our practice. But that journey of disorientation is uncomfortable. Uh, but I think that's probably what we need. Just like the blisters are uncomfortable on the Camino. <laughs> like, it's not a comfortable journey, right? I don't think any of us three would say, oh, that was a luxuriously comfortable experience, but it was profoundly transformative. That's why I, regardless of whether it's the Camino or just travel, um, I'm such an advocate of young people traveling mm-hmm. and, and traveling to a place where they don't know the language and having that kind of extreme disorientation where they, they are struggling to just do the normal, the, you know, buy food, buy a stamp. Um, I remember being, you know, 22 years old in Spain, living there for a year and having this complete perspective shift of being the foreigner and not having the power and really having to listen and listen for the first three months to just be able to get by. And I think that's so powerful. And that has radically impacted the way I look at the world for the rest of my life, you know, it was, it was something that I, um, the biggest thing that I 
fear for COVID is just wanting to people to get back out in the world and experience yeah. that. Um, I love that you are posturing folks to go into a space of internal transformation because yeah, I mean, I think I have somewhat resisted the idea of missions my whole life because it does feel so, um, it really is the opposite of what I think people need to do when they're in someone else's culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the reality is if we, if we get down to brass tacks here, imagine like one of the gifts of how we're describing pilgrimage is being in a place where our hands are open rather than our fists are clenched and we're listening, we're going to be exposed to people in places that are different than us. And it's gonna, it's gonna bump up against some of our own worldview and, and it gives us some tools to navigate difference. Now let's, let's translate that to the last, let's just say the last six months in the United States in our political reality. Yeah. Imagine if we were people who actually had the capacity to enter a room with our political other in a way that wasn't with fists, but with hands that are open. And this is not a compromise of convictions or I'm not suggesting that we're passive. We, don't, we, we were very careful to talk about peace, not as something passive, but as proactive, but how we're proactive um, this journey of pilgrimage allows us to sit with someone and not just assume we have to change their minds, but we can be given the gift of curiosity to understand right. what is it that drives you to that decision? Is it a past fear? Is it a trauma? Is it a different value system? You know, if we don't have these tools, and this is where I'm speaking from a peacemaking trainer perspective, if we don't have these tools, we're just going to continue to widen the divides between us and our ideological purity, whether it's left or right, is going to be our God rather than the journey towards relationship with one another and with ourselves. Uh, and so I don't, I'm not inspired to think of a future where everyone's like really clear about their own ideology and it becomes a barrier for our own transformation. That actually is a world that terrifies me. And <laughs> I think pilgrimage helps us undo some of that. Particularly around the political dialogue um, as I've been stepping out in the world, I've been, I've been practicing. Um, so what I'm hearing you say is, and I just speak back, you know, as opposed to going, you know, particularly somebody who, who thinks very differently than I do politically, or has a different interpretation of what's happening around us. Um, yeah. As opposed, instead of saying, well, I disagree with you and here's what I think I've been saying, you know, so what I'm hearing you saying is, Am I hearing you correctly? I, what I'm hearing you say is this and sort of waiting for them to invite me to give my opinion, so to speak. Do you have any yeah. sort of practical, like out in the world, um, how to engage sort of peacemaking in this time? Yeah. I mean, I think a few things. One, if we're sitting with someone, uh, an other, whoever that might be, we'll talk political in this moment. If someone interprets that encounter as one that's going to be filled with shame and finger pointing, the conversation's over before it starts. And it, right. it, it may happen, but it'll be in a posture of defensiveness um, rather than genuine curiosity. So I think one of the big things is how are we communicating in ways that aren't pointing fingers? Again, we're not compromising conviction, but creating an environment of trust. And, and usually this requires that we actually build trust, <laughs> that we, we don't just with someone we're just meeting for the first time, or if a family member who's perpetually we're communicating off our triggers, if, if it's not a space where there's a, a sense of generosity, the conversation may not even be worth having in the first place. And if you don't feel like you're someone who can communicate outside of finger pointing and shaming, um, probably best not to have the conversation. If we can create that environment, a couple practices that we often talk about 
are to listen longer than feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, nice. and this is kind of what you're saying, Tony, like let's listen longer than actually feels comfortable in our body. Like we start squirming. Oh, uncle Jim is going at it again. Listen longer. Right. Uh, be able to, add, yeah, to mirror back. Am I hearing you say this? Is, do, I, do I understand that? And not in a way that you're asking the question as a way to corner them, because you can even hear in your tone, are you really saying that? Versus, am I understand, uh, help me understand a little more of what you're saying when you, when you mentioned this. Um, so listening longer than feels comfortable. The second, this is St. Francis would, would say to seek to understand rather than to be understood. How are we genuinely going into those conversations, trying our best to understand where this person is coming from and why they're coming from that perspective rather than just going into it like, I got my bullet points, got to get them across, got to you know, win another convert, essentially. Um, we trust that when we build that environment, we can communicate how we feel and how we, what our perspectives are. But if we aren't creating a space for it to be generous, it's not going to be received in a way that's constructive anyway. John, I had, I'm sorry, Kari. Um, I, I had another question based on earlier you said. I think most people, myself included, you, you drop me in the middle of the West Bank and I'm going to feel disoriented. It's easy for me to imagine disorientation within that context. Yep. But what, what do I do in my neighborhood? What do I do in my everyday? What do I do when I'm when I'm trekking around town? Um, is, are, there, are there ways to, to, to intentionally disorient in sort of everyday life? Yeah, I mean, I, I think of, um, I just went on a walk this morning with my wife and it's so easy for, we live in an urban setting. And so, uh, you know, our one and a half mile trip to downtown and now one and a half miles back, we are seeing all sorts of things that can break open our worldview <laughs> if we have eyes to see them. You know, I, I think a lot of us immediately it's blinders. Um, but you know, you walk from my neighborhood, which is a neighborhood of immigrants, largely from Mexico, many of whom are undocumented, and you see the ways um, that most people don't feel comfortable out playing on the streets because there's a, a level of fear and concern of being seen or exposed. And how does that inform why only white people are at the park with their dogs and not wow. others? To walking through downtown and the epicenter of folks living on, outside on the streets, and we're observing that in the last few months, there's a lot more people that look like everyday folks that just don't have a place to live because they've lost so much of their livelihood during COVID. And so we're observing that it's disorienting. You're going downtown and you're seeing the ways that this three streets is marked by millennial wealth. And it's kind of hiding the other pockets of community I just talked about. So, I mean, even in how we choose to see, we um, our first practice of peacemaking we train in is the practice of see. It's to see the humanity and the dignity and the image of God in everyone. And the first question we have to ask is who have we been taught to see and who have we been taught not to see? Because mm. uh, right. we have all been formed into people who have been taught not to see certain people. And it's usually people who look or think or believe or act differently than we do, or people that if we see them, it'll make us uncomfortable because then we have to call into question some of our own practices and convictions and way of life. And so what would it look like to take some neighborhood walks, uh, choosing to see the humanity, the dignity, the image of God in everyone, and asking that question, who have I been taught not to see? Many of us have been taught not to see our political other right now. Many of us have been taught not to see... Uh, people that think theologically different than we do. Many of us have been taught not to see the communities I just described on the walk. So there's all sorts of ways to be disoriented if we choose to allow ourselves to be. 
challenging because I, I, I think about, uh, you know, we think about this other. And, um, so my, my mom and I have very, very, very different political beliefs and I've been having dinner with her in fact tonight. And so I always, I feel like a lot of people are like myself as we think about that interaction. Um, the safe space is to just not have a conversation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and to just take it off the table. And uh, lately I have been feeling like that it is safer, but it also is, there's a piece of me that wants to know her better. And I yeah. want to know what what's going on to lead her to those particular convictions. Mm -hmm. And um, the idea of broaching that is very intimidating to me. You know, mm -hmm. it's a very, because I, I'm, I'm, I, I was the person when you talked about fight or flight, I was the, I, f I fled. Like yeah. I grew up in a household where my father was very, very political, but it was, it was always associated with anger and rage towards mm. the other. Mm -hmm. And so um, my dad passed away this past August. And so it's the first time that I'm having the ability to have a conversation with my mom without that presence there. Yeah. And so it's kind of a restart and I'm wanting to restart in a different way. And mm -hmm. yet I have this fear and anxiety that I feel going into that situation, um, totally. not because of her, but just because of that, you know, not wanting to have that confrontation. Yeah. Um, but some of those things that you're saying are, are, um, are convicting. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and when somebody, when somebody, when somebody gives you their beliefs, they're giving you their gold. This is their hopes. This is their, their vision for a better world. This is, this is how they want the future to, to manifest. This is, this is this, their desires for their children. This is, this is where their, their view of peace and hope and love in the world is manifested around these beliefs. Even if I disagree with the beliefs, mm -hmm. they are giving me their gold. They're giving them the, the stuff of, of, of prophets and poets and philosophers, you know, that have wrestled to, to understand these things and they're doing their best to sort of, to articulate what's meaningful mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. And I so often want to dismiss people because I'm such an arrogant prick, you know, that, because <laughs> if you don't think it, see it the way I see it, you're just dumb mm -hmm. and uh, God have mercy. Yeah, totally. Well, and when you take that idea of taking, when, you know, it's that old age old rule of taking, uh, you know, we're not going to talk about politics and we're not going to talk about spiritual mm -hmm. beliefs. Mm -hmm. Well, like Tony said, those are the most meaningful, those things show, show us yes. who we are or show the other who we are. And they're, yes. they're so embedded. And so we take that off and we're in a cocktail conversation. We're going to talk about the weather and what we're binging on television. And to some degree, it's just, it's, it's this creates this this space of shallowness but i mean i'm just as guilty as the next person that i help avoid us, john. those things because help I us john <laughs> i know <laughs> we're, we're so needy we need you well do, do you ever do any uh, like a webinar for the you know the common folk are all of these oh yeah this is all on our website we have in fact we just had one on how to have hard conversations uh around holiday season so um yeah go to go to our globalimmerse.org website and there's an archive of free webinars um yeah, a couple couple thoughts on that. Uh, one is I think it's important to name the fact that there are, especially in these very deep interpersonal relationships, there's past pain and trauma that that informs how we show up, and we can't not 
acknowledge that. And for some people, the pain and trauma is too much. Like it, it actually wouldn't even necessarily be that some of the practice I was suggesting. I, I may not even be set, suggesting them to you in that time. If you're someone that's feeling like you're in that space. Um, the other thing is, and I think this goes to what you're saying, Tony, we can be such assholes, quite honestly, that we begin to just, one therapist of my wife and I says, you know, in the moment you begin to just communicate off of each other's triggers, you're not actually communicating. You're just bouncing off one trigger to the next, to the next, to the next. And this is really, it's that function of escalation. When we're bouncing off triggers, we think we're communicating and things are getting hotter and hotter and hotter, but we're not. We're just bouncing off triggers, which are usually built in pain, uh, misunderstanding, defensiveness. And so how do we have a, go on a journey to move beyond and below our triggers and into the stuff of the soul, which I think is what you're talking about with your mom, where what, what might it look like to say, hey, mom, what, help me understand why you think dad held his political, political views in such a zealous way. Like, how, what was your experience of that? And why do you think that was? Like, even to be able to create an environment where it's not just about like, I need to know why you think politically different, but like, what's the thing behind the thing? Because, and also for us to model, um, it was Thomas Merton who said, until we disarm the violence within ourselves, we'll never disarm the violence of our world. That we all have our own shit. Like we all, and that's why, again, this is the stuff that comes up on the Camino. I, I, so much of this needs to be excavated for me. How much is my own pain that, that has me going to that conversation, bouncing off triggers, because there's something inside of me that hasn't been tended to. <laughs> and uh, and so I think the formational question is really less like, okay, what's my strategic strategy on how to have a conversation that doesn't blow up? Well, maybe let's like tend to some of the stuff inside of us that's lighting the fire before it starts. And people can feel that and experience that. And and then we begin to bounce off triggers and broken stuff stays broken. And that's a bummer. Yeah. This conversation is not over, but just um, I just want to remind people that they can go to Global Immerse dot org to learn about all this stuff and yep. then um john huckins j-o-n-h-u-c-k-i-n-s dot net nailed it yep org and, and we'll have we'll have all on. this in the episode notes what was that org and uh com were gone when i got that domain name so i got a net you got dot net that's great um so <laughs> Uh, so much around what you've been saying, you've touched on this several times, is this idea of privilege. And the Camino is this phenomenal thing that we love to talk about, but the reality is going to Spain is an act of a profound yep. act of privilege. It's a, it's a luxurious act of privilege to be able to take off that much time and spend that kind of money and have the sort of grace from our, in our relationships and our, our work to be able to disappear for that long. And, um, and the Kari and I started this pod because uh, we believe that something magical happens on the Camino. Mm. And that if there is something magical, that, that, that magical thing, if it is magical, it must be inherently human. But if it is inherently human, it cannot be predicated upon privilege. It must yeah. be available to everyone in every part of life and every stage of life. So do you just have any thoughts on just being a pilgrim in the everyday? I mean, you call yourself a train, you train in everyday peacemaking. Um, mm -hmm. Can you just, just talk about the everyday and nurturing, nurturing our pilgrim self? Yeah, totally. I mean, 
I could speak as a pilgrim, not as an expert, that's for sure. Because honestly, it's a struggle for me, uh, even in how I'm wired. Um, we were joking about my Enneagram type before we started. And so like the idea of, if I think of my daily life when I wake up, um, try to get up before my kids are awake and then the, the kids are awake and the kind of the chaos ensues and the movement out the door and through our neighborhood and to my office and to, into around the screen, like so many of the components, um, all these components have the opportunity to transform me um, in ways that I experienced on the, on the Camino. I'm more convinced than that than ever. The gift of the Camino obviously was an intentional space to carve out and really like dig deep. But um, I, I think thinking of every day as a Camino, as a pilgrimage into the beauty and the brokenness of the stuff that's around me and within me is in front of us. And it's really more about, as I'm finding, uh, a, a mindset and having, a, a, having companions for that journey. I, I feel like as we're thinking about this, and if you haven't had a chance to go to, to, to Portugal or Spain or France to do this, who is it that you might invite into your journey towards the soul uh, that you can be transparent with, that you can, um, you can bring up the hard questions and the doubts? And where is it you can find time to be silent with yourself? One of the greatest struggles I had for the first three days of the Camino was learning how to be alone. I mean, I was like, I was frustrated. I was depressed. I wanted to leave. Like, I didn't know how to be with myself because I'd never been with myself because there's just so much noise. So what are ways in our, our daily life we can carve out 10 or 15 minutes just to be with ourselves and, and allow like the, the Plinko balls in our head to slow down and uh, actually pay attention to who we are and how we're showing up. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I think all the, the only, the Camino is great, but if it doesn't inform our real life, then it's just another privileged experiment on the other side of the world, um, which again, can be transformative, but only in so much as they inform how we interact with, with our, our day. So again, that's just a pilgrim reflection. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that stuff, but that's the worst stuff I'm wrestling through. I hear you. I, my, um, my, I talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the pod, but my contemplative life has really just gone down the pooper. Um, mm -hmm this last even even before COVID, honestly and yeah. um and that's that stillness and quiet i i need to find it again yep i hear you man i find that if i don't get up before my kids <laughs> i won't find it throughout the day and that takes so much it's just a, it takes some drive and discipline and it's hard to conjure up especially in this COVID season when everything feels fuzzy yeah yeah, walking and kayaking is where I find it. Mm. Get away from the house, get out awesome. on the water, or just through the city. Yeah. Always walk in the middle of the city. I I just love urban walking. So I really fun. do. Kari, any yeah. thoughts? Oh, I just love this conversation. It's brought up so many good things. And I um I feel like the that that concept of working working on those spaces in yourself before you're entering into this other space of 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 connecting with people is is so important and i i 
I feel like when I was a little bit younger, I was very naive and that I would have a, an epiphanal experience. Like I'd walk on the Camino and I'm like, ah, transformation, mm-hmm. I'm ready. And um, now that I'm older, I realize it's this, you know, it's, there's this rhythm, it's this constant journey mm-hmm. of, of reconnecting. And then it's almost like a, a calibrating a, something, you calibrate back to center. And then over time, it's gonna, you're gonna lose that. And you have to keep coming back to that, keep coming mm-hmm. back to that. And, um, and whatever, you know, whether it's being able to do something amazing like the Camino, or it's deciding to do a daily walk where mm-hmm. you are, Lately, so one of the things one of the things about teaching on a workshop is that when you're teaching and you're saying, I'm sure you guys you guys have all taught, uh, saying something out loud is very convicting <laughs> to other people, and you realize, oh, I'm not really doing that right now. Yeah. So one of the things that my workshop is about is capturing the beauty of the ordinary. So mm-hmm. is looking at things with a different viewpoint, seeing mm-hmm. them, and mm-hmm. then and then actually drawing them and capturing them and finding ways to. Um, slow down in your own space and so lately I've been walking and just finding something on my walk that I want to draw and I've walked these walks I don't know how many times during COVID but now that I'm looking again I'm seeing all of these things so differently and I think that's the beauty of pilgrimage that's the beauty of entering into that space Mm -hmm. I had this um, my experience of coming into Santiago at the end of the Camino was so profound and I'm still processing the implications of all of it, but I had this image that was like borderline vision experience for me uh, in the last five kilometers where I'm walking alone, but my closest community began to gather around me and walk with me. First my wife and then my late spiritual director who had died recently before, just before the Camino. My kids are on their scooters and this like cloud of witnesses, witnesses begin to assemble behind me and walk with me, accompany me into Santiago. And I had this experience of like, whoa, I'm, I'm now looking at the cathedral, but it's more clear to me than ever that this was not my destination. Mm-hmm. My destination is wholeness. And it's with this community who are walking mm-hmm. with me towards wholeness and have been for four decades and will continue to be hopefully for however long. And so that that allows us to see that if the destination is wholeness, we don't need to be in Santiago, Spain. We just need to be awake to what's right in front of us and what's within us. And um, it can be a great gift to receive every day. John, we're gonna um, we're gonna put your books and your websites and stuff in the episode notes so people can find you. Um, before we let you go, is there anything you haven't had a chance to say that you'd like to say? Oh my, I don't know. I feel like this has been a pretty well-rounded conversation, but um, I think, I guess the last thing, the the only thing I I was thinking, Kari, especially as you were talking, is this is all uh, an opportunity for us to continue to do our own work. And this has come up a lot, especially around race. Okay. Hey, you don't need to like continue to ask all of your friends of color how to navigate stuff. What if you like spend some time doing your own work, reading the books, uh, watching the documentaries, excavating your own story. This is the formational stuff we're talking about here too. Like it's about us doing our own work so that we show up in those hard conversations or around those family tables or in our business places more whole. And um, it's not easy, but it's, uh, it's a great gift to receive again, if, if we choose to say yes to it. So 
I think that's a we we are getting that that's being told to us more and more. I think it's a healthy thing. We're becoming more aware of it, and this is another opportunity towards those ends. Thank you so much, John. Thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you. This is fun. Yep, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast, and if you don't stop and look around every once in a while, you might miss it. Profound, Tony. Thank you. Thanks, John. Love it. Fun to be with you both. Thanks for letting me jump into a space to reflect like this again. Thank you. Bless you, brother. Thank you for walking with us. To stay connected, visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment, share, and respond. 